0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. I'm Pastor Michael Branch. Well, as we begin, we pray, Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your Word is truth. This will be different than uh, likely than, than what you've been used to, unless you've attended a church before that does expository preaching, which is verse by verse. Let me, let me just tell you a little bit about why this is so great. Because I could try as a pastor to speak topically on all the things that you you might deal with in your life. Um, But it's going to be hit or miss. And there will be sections of the Bible that we never touch because it doesn't fall within the parameters of whatever I'm speaking on topically. But if we go verse by verse through Scripture, I guarantee you every single thing that you will deal with in your life somewhere along the way we will touch on it in Scripture. So if you know you don't have to do a topic on the end times because they're going to be talking about the end times. You don't have to talk about do a topical sermon series on marriage because we're going to talk about marriage. You see how that works? So and then what happens is that you're building precept upon precept. So you, you you gain this knowledge of one book and the backstory of the book and the backstory of, of Paul and his life uh, and the other writers. And then you just begin to build that knowledge upon knowledge, and pretty soon you look at the New Testament and realize, "Wow, I have a really good handle on my doctrine, on my theology, and the New Testament as a whole." And uh, and the great thing about as we teach the New Testament, it always points back to the Old Testament. Okay, and so we're going to delve into that stuff as as well. So today uh, we're going to start off with. Um, I've entitled it Paul an Apostle, okay? So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 1.1. So if you would, turn there, 1 Corinthians 1.1. And uh, the, the passages are going to be up there. You can look, look them up or just take notes and, and go back and look at them later. I'm not going to make any promises of how far we're going to make, uh, make it today because we're, we're not even going to make it really out of verse 1, okay? Um, and here's what verse 1 says, 1 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So, in a letter in their day and time, he did what was customary. He states his name, Paul. He starts out with that, and then he states that he was called. And then he clarifies the office to which he was called, which is apostleship. And then he states by what authority he is called, which is by the will of God. It was not something that he did in his own power, in his own intellect, and in his own cleverness. This was Paul submitting to the will of God, which is what we should all do. Amen? Uh, today, before we really get into the meat of the book, though, I want to do basically what Colton did last week with the city of Corinth and telling you all about the the day and time and the circumstances of of, uh, the letters that Paul wrote to Corinth. Today, I want to talk specifically and lay a foundation of an understanding focusing on Paul specifically, um, his ministry, his writings, and just some basic general facts. Okay, First of all, a 2nd century author wrote a physical description of the Apostle Paul that had apparently been passed down uh, several generations. And here's how he describes what the Apostle Paul looked like. A man of middling size, so about average size uh, and height. His hair was scanty, all right? That's probably never a good thing. If somebody looks at you and says your hair is scanty, uh, probably lacking, likely bald, okay? Okay. Says his legs were a little crooked and his knees were far apart. In our day and time, we call that bow-legged, Okay. Um, says he had large eyes and his eyebrows met. The few, the proud, the unibrowed. Right. So uh, Paul had a had a unibrow, and then it says his nose was somewhat long. Now this this may be this may just be some creative writing from a second century guy who just wanted to make Paul look bad, uh, but it doesn't really. Uh, contradict or clash with what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10.10. 10. It says, His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he is unimpressive. Okay? That's what's said about Paul. All right. So he was a weighty and and forceful apostle. First, as we just read in 1 Corinthians, Paul was called to be an apostle. And I want to review first what it means to be an apostle. So if you haven't been here uh Over the last several weeks, uh, probably three, four weeks past, we talked about what it means to be an apostle. First turn to Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. Starting in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So here we, uh, we see that once again it's stating that the apostles were part of the foundation of the church. All right, so let's talk about the criteria. What did Paul have what boxes did he have to check in order to be considered an apostle? First of all, an apostle had to be a physical eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, okay? He had to be a physical eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Now, this is going to be tough for Paul, but he managed uh, to, to get it. In 1 Corinthians nine 1, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse one, Paul says, "Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord?" So he confirms in that statement that he has seen Jesus. And we know, of course, in his conversion that he was, uh, that he saw Jesus in that, um, on that day knocked off his donkey, right? Uh, and then number two, an apostle had to be chosen by Christ himself. And of course, we can go right into Acts chapter 9, verse 4. Acts chapter 9, verse 4, it says, And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? That's, of course, Christ himself speaking to Saul. In 1 Corinthians 15, 4 through 8, uh, Paul is listing the folks that Christ Uh, appeared to after His resurrection, okay? So He's going down the list, and here's what He says. He was raised on the third day, according to Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now. Uh, Not now, but at the time it was written. Uh, But some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Verse 8, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So Paul saw the resurrected Christ. Uh, And then 3, an apostle had to be authenticated by God as having been able to perform irrefutable signs, miracles, and wonders. Okay, Things that were supernatural in nature. Things that could not be fabricated or faked. Okay? Uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, 11 and 12. 2 Corinthians 12, 11 and 12 says, Actually, I should have been commended by you since I was in no respect inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. I love how Paul does this because he's like, I'm awesome, but I'm a nobody. Like he, he just goes kind of back and forth. He's stating the truth. But then then he states in his humility the truth of the matter, okay? Verse 12, he says, even though I'm a nobody, verse 12, the distinguishing marks of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs, wonders, and miracles. And again, we studied that word distinguishing means it was indicative of or it was affirming or confirming And then validating. So Paul was validated because, of course, we know in Acts, Paul did uh, perform signs, miracles, and wonders at that time. Although later on, those things began uh, to, to cease. All right. So the office of apostle is part of the foundation that was laid upon which the church itself would be built. And after Jesus set the cornerstone of the church, his finished work, Uh, The apostles' works were then situated directly behind the finished work of Jesus under His given authority. So we've got a a picture here of uh, just kind of, uh, I want you to picture in your mind. So Christ being the cornerstone, you've got the apostles and prophets. And of course, the prophets are the ones that spoke the Word of God, the revelation of God, as did the apostles at that time. But you could picture even another cube behind that, and you could break those up into the 12 apostles. You could break them up and, and into smaller quadrants there and actually show that that was the foundation that was built. Okay, um, The foundation comprised, again, the finished work of Jesus being the cornerstone, And then completed in the first 100 years of the early apostolic age. Okay? Their works as apostles and prophets primarily was to write the actual Word of God, the Bible that you hold in your hand. That was was the whole point of validating them as uh, working miracles and signs and wonders, validating them as I am God's man. And the Holy Spirit is is speaking through me and I'm writing the actual word of God that you now hold in your hand, okay? So um, we see the revelation of God, um, the Spirit by Paul's own hand in his writings, in the epistles. So how can we be certain, though, that Paul wrote the books that we believe that he wrote? Well, let's do a quick survey of those books, okay? So let your... Let, let your fingers do the walking, as they used to say in the... Do anybody remember the old Yellow Pages ads? Am I that old, really? Um, all right, so go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. And then you can put your finger in 2 Thessalonians. And you don't have to follow me here, but I'm going to make a point. If you want to follow me, you can. You might skip ahead if you want to, just, just to prove my point. But First and 2 Thessalonians, they were written... This is the chronology. He started with First and 2 Thessalonians, of course, writing to the church at Thessalonica, written in A.D. 52 or A.D. 53, and both letters open with these words. See if you can pick up on a, on a trend here. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, okay? Now you turn over to Galatians and Corinthians and Romans if you wanted to look there in the very first verses of each, the first chapter, first verse of each book, Galatians, the Cor- the first and second Corinthians and Romans, b- written between 56 and 58 AD, and here's how Galatians begins. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Here's 1 Corinthians 1-1, as we've already saw, uh, seen earlier, but we're going to we're going to go ahead and, and read it again. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. 2 Corinthians 1.1 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Timothy. Romans 1.1 1, 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Then Paul wrote the epistles while in captivity. So while he was in prison, okay, and this was between 61 and 63 A.D. Here's Colossians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Philemon 1.1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. Anybody picking up on a trend? And then last, the pastoral epistles, and their date is, of course, uncertain. We don't know exactly when they were written, except that we know the second epistle to Timothy was kind of his farewell letter just before he he was uh, martyred. Okay, And, and so... In Titus 1.1, 1, 1, it says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1, 1, uh, an apostle of Christ Je- Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and Christ Jesus, who is our hope. And then 2 Timothy 1, 1. Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. So every single one of the letters, we see that Paul authenticates the books that he wrote and authored by making the first word of each and every one of those books his name. All right? Pretty, just right out of the gate, he identified that he had written this. Now, Paul has traditionally been thought to have been, uh, had written the book of Hebrews as well. It is now believed that he's associated with the writing of the book of Hebrews, meaning he had uh, direct or indirect by proxy influence on the writing, meaning it could have been someone that was very, very close to him that had walked under his teaching for quite some time and then just wrote uh, the book of Hebrews. All right. that and, and so in that way, he shared authorship in one way, but there was likely one or two other contributors. So uh, one of the modern thoughts is that maybe Paul, uh, as he was getting older, he kind of dictated what he wanted uh, written. And then someone like Apollos or Timothy uh, was actually writing with their own hand because we know that Paul, we believe that Paul had an issue with his eyes. Okay, And I'll talk about that later on. He actually talks about it in, in Scripture that he had a, an ailment with his eyes at, at some time. And then uh, it's likely the author of Hebrews was actually Apollos, okay? Um, But the, the best answer to that question was written by a church father, Origen, between 185 and 254 AD, and here's what he said according to Eusebius. He asked the question, Who wrote the epistle of Hebrews? In truth, only God knows. And that's the answer right there. Only God knows. We'll know when we stand before God. That'll be one of those questions that people will be clamoring uh, to ask. Okay, who wrote the book of Hebrews? Anyway, back to the Apostle Paul. Um, Unfortunately, there's no autobiography of Paul that was written, okay? We can sketch out details about his life, but there's some pretty big gaps um, as far as what we know about him. But we can look at his letters and draw a lot of information from that. We can look at the book of Acts. We can look at statements from Paul in uh, his early Christian writings, taking these things into account. Also, the church fathers who were in close proximity to the lifetime of Paul and the things that they wrote about him. Okay, Um, And taking these things into account, we can create a general portrait of Paul's early life. Paul describes his own life in Philippians 3, 5 through 6. Philippians 3. Five through six, and he lists seven things that uh, qualities or things that he achieved himself. And here's what he says Number one, he states that he was circumcised on the eighth day. Number two, he calls himself of the people of Israel. Number three, he says he's of the tribe of Benjamin, so we know he actually was. Uh, one of the, the 12 tribes, and, and specifically from the tribe of Benjamin. Number four, he tells his readers that he is a Hebrew of Hebrews, which if someone said, I am an, um, I'm a, a man's man, or I'm an American of Americans, right? We know what that means. It's like, I'm, I'm very zealous and very passionate about being a Hebrew. Okay, that's what he was saying. When he thinks of his life uh, relative to the law, Paul described himself as a Pharisee. Okay, people throw that word around today like it's a really negative thing. And it's because we look at the Pharisees in the New Testament. Of course, they're the bad guys, right? Because they plotted to kill Jesus. And so we immediately say, well, if that guy is just focused on Scripture, then he's a Pharisee. As if being focused on Scripture was the thing about the Pharisees that made them the bad guys. What made them the bad guys is that they plotted to kill Jesus. They plotted to kill just about everybody that, that was a threat to their way of life, okay? So when he speaks of, number six, when he speaks of his zeal, he talks of persecuting the church. So he says that there was a time I was very zealous, uh, very passionate about persecuting the church. And then lastly, the seventh one, he says that with respect to the law, he was faultless. Now, just think about that. With respect to the law, he was faultless. He hadn't broken any of the laws But note, he does not say he was sinless, okay? So he was faultless when it came to the law, but he wasn't sinless. He knew the difference between the two. We know that Paul was born in the city of Tarsus, and that was the capital of the province of uh, Cilicia. And during Paul's time, this was a city that actually enjoyed no taxation uh, from the Roman hierarchy. It was a free city, and it was considered to be a place of culture and learning, okay? Uh, what? Ask the question, what brought Paul's family to that area, to Tarsus? Well, most believe that Paul's parents or ancestors were actually taken to Tarsus as prisoners of war. So they had been captured, brought to Tarsus, and, and then Paul was born sometime later. The theologian Jerome writing in the late 4th to early fifth century indicates that Paul and his parents were brought to Tarsus from the region of Geshala in Judea, okay? So again, they had been captured and brought there against their will, and then they just stayed there and it wound up working out real well for them. Um, although Jerome doesn't date their deportation sometime between 5 BC and AD5, That's kind of a reasonable time in which all of these uprisings were taking place. Okay, Uh, it's possible also that Paul's ancestors came to Tarsus um, as prisoners after Pompey's uh, invasion of Jerusalem in 63 BC, and possibly even earlier. We don't know for sure, but that's the thinking: is that his parents were captured and brought to that area of Tarsus? Okay, during the reign of. Antiochus Epiphanes in 175 to 163 B.C. So again, we don't know for sure. Um, But we do know that they were Jews who were living outside of Israel. So in the ancient world, there were 6 million Jewish people at that time. And of that 6 million people, only about 5 million actually lived within the borders of Israel, of what we know Israel to be today. So most Jews during that time lived outside of the borders of Israel. And so they were. Um, Paul was born a Jew, it's a fact. He was living outside of Israel, okay? Uh, but then again, he was a Roman citizen, and here's why. We learn from Acts that Paul was a citizen of Rome because he was from Tarsus, and here's how it worked out for them. In Acts chapter 16... Verses 37 through 38, Acts 16, 37 through 38. Upon being released from prison, Paul says, referring to both himself and Silas, they beat us public, uh, publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison. Now in this passage, we learn that the magistrates who found out that Paul had been beaten, who was a Roman citizen, they kind of freaked out when they found out that was the case. Okay, In Acts twenty two twenty five, 25, Paul asks a centurion, if it's permissible to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty, uh, speaking again of himself. So he was using that in a very wise way to say, hey man, what you're doing is wrong. I'm a Roman citizen and and this is not supposed to happen to a Roman citizen. Um, Unlike many of us today, we're born in the United States of America. We have citizenship of the United States of America. That was not the case back then necessarily, but he was... um, citizen only because he was born into a family that had Roman citizenship. And his family received that because they lived in that region of Cilicia. Pompey won Cilicia for the Romans in 67 BC. And in turn, Pompey made the capital city, Tarsus. Okay, And then later, Mark Antony made Tarsus a free city Um, and then exempted it from Roman taxation. This is kind of how all of this fell into place. I realize this is kind of like a history lesson here, but you're getting some of the background and, and underlying information as we begin to build when we go into 1 Corinthians. And then later, Augustus confirmed and extended these civic privileges to all of the folks who lived in Tarsus. So by the end of the first century B.C., shortly before Paul was likely born, uh, the residents of Tarsus were Roman citizens. So they were brought there into captivity. Again, the hand of God's providence, just in time, placing them where they need to be. And you, as you read scripture, you just see this. You can call it coincidence if you want. It's not coincidence. God was placing people in the right place at the right time. Uh, th- consider the Roman roads. That I mean, he, he chose this particular time in human history when roads were being built by Rome in order, and, and, and as Colton mentioned last week, the, the, uh, the, the shipping trades, right? Uh, those routes that they had. And he chose that particular uh, period of time, the first time in history that, that men could travel in that manner. And that's when he chose to send Christ and the birth of the, the early church, and then the gospel spread everywhere. So, again, the hand of, of God in his providential plan is just incredible. Um, we know that Paul was an intelligent, educated man. Paul's letters were written in the Greek language, and so we see that he could think and, and write uh, very fluently in what's known as Koine Greek, okay? And this led a lot of scholars to conclude <clears throat> that Paul's education happened uh, first began in Tarsus, and the Bible also tells us that later on he was a student in Jerusalem of Gamaliel, okay? And so he was raised up in that. And Paul was, again, a, had a powerful mind in using the Old Testament Scriptures to make the case for Christ and to prove to uh, those who would push back against the gospel that Jesus was the Christ. He used Old Testament Scripture uh, to, to really make excellent arguments, Okay. And it's likely that Paul learned the Scripture from his family and from his local synagogue there in uh, Tarsus. Um, And, of course, we find out later in Acts that he was a student of Gamaliel and that he became a Pharisee. And a Pharisee, of course, is one who seeks to know the law backwards and forwards, right? To know the letter of the law and, and really understand it and to be able to have the authority to teach the law. So here you had... You remember when, uh, when Jesus uh, was 12 years old and he was in the temple and he was speaking with authority. Well, he hadn't necessarily been taught the way that Paul had been taught, but here was this 12-year-old boy in the temple schooling all of the Pharisees. Okay, pretty incredible. Uh, so we know also that Paul was a skilled tent maker and a leather worker and we don't know when he gained this skill whether it was when he was a boy growing up did he did he learn it from his dad did he learn it later on like as a as a trade to support himself in the ministry we really don't know we just know that uh, he knew how to do it and he probably did it well okay we don't know um, if that also the fact that he had to work in addition if that brings into question kind of what paul's social status was as far as how much money he had and and what kind of uh, family he came from. Uh, Was Paul wealthy, or was Paul from a family of little means? We don't know, but Paul did say that he's been in all these different circumstances. There were times when he's had an overabundance, and there was time he had very little, and that's, of course, when we hear him say, uh, you know, I can do all things through Christ Christ who gives me strength, that no matter what the circumstance, no matter what I face, whether a little or a lot, no matter what I'm facing in my life, I can do all things through Christ. I can I can be content, right? And that's really the challenge for all of us. Whether we have a little or a lot, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, will we be content with what God has given us? Will we allow uh, ourselves to enjoy our lives and, and to to seek out the mission of Christ in the world, whether we have very, very little or whether we have a lot. Is the passion behind, whether you have a little bit or a lot, is the drive and the passion behind it the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that your purpose in the world? All right. So we do know also that Paul, um, as a result of his commitment to Christ, he says at one point that he lost all things. So it could be that he did have... uh, a certain amount of wealth and then at some point because of his following Christ um, that he lost everything that he had, okay? We don't know this stuff for certain but we just know what Scripture teaches us. It doesn't really matter. We know he's experienced both, okay? Okay. We also know that Paul was unmarried, and there's no reason in Scripture to think otherwise. Like some people say that, well, Paul was married before, and his wife probably died, or something of that nature, but there's no reason to think that. Uh, it seems to me that Paul chose a, I mean, that God chose a young man, uh, Saul, to, to raise up and, and to use as a, a blunt force instrument for his kingdom, okay? We know Paul's mission prior to his conversion. Um, Paul's life immediately before his conversion was kind of consisted of his white hot hatred of the church, of the early church, and and putting down this, what he perceived to be a rebellion, okay? Um, He admits it in 1 Corinthians 15, in Galatians 1, in Philippians 3. Uh, He brings that up that he was very, very zealous against the early church. We read about it in Acts 7, 8, 9, chapters 22, and chapters 26. He again talks about his zeal in persecuting the church. And the here's the deal. The conversions to the followers of the way, which is what they were referred to, they didn't get the name Christians until... Uh, later on, and it was kind of a it was kind of a put down, like oh those Christians, those Christ followers. But before that, they were known as the followers of the way. The Jesus said, "I am the way," and they were the followers of the way. Okay, um, and but the deal was, the gospel began spreading beyond Jerusalem, then to Damascus, then Syrian Antioch, just just spreading like wildfire all over the region, and. And this so-called new religion or religious rebellion against what Paul believed to be was the, the one true church, uh, Paul got triggered, right? So he, um, so he, he, got, it, 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 he got very passionate against pushing back against the church. And we aren't told exactly why it bothered him so much, but I would think that it is because he wanted... Those early church followers who he believed were twisting the Old Testament scriptures and, and, and really promoting a false religion, he wanted them wiped out. And that's really what he set out uh, to do. Okay. His persecution of the church that Jesus founded was interrupted. Um, we all know the story. It was interrupted in dramatic fashion when Christ himself... Blinded him and knocked him off his donkey on the road to Damascus. Okay, and just an incredible conversion. and And perhaps we'll get into just that story one day as well. Um, but we know where the story goes from there. Paul infused the body of Christ at that time with such edification and encouragement and zeal. If you can imagine the the like that moment, I mean pardon me but in star wars where darth vader lifts up the emperor and and like switches back to the good side right that triumphant moment that's basically what this was this was this was there the, the, the star of the, the rising star of the pharisees he was the guy and all the christians were fleeing from saul of tarsus and all the pharisees were rooting him on and all of a sudden God causes him, the rising star of the Pharisees, to switch teams, and begin to uh, be the champion of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and wrote the majority of the scripture that you now hold in your hand in the New Testament. Okay, so again, he his arguments were just notorious amongst the Pharisees and those who taught the law for baffling them, especially in Damascus early on, because we see in Acts chapter 9 Acts chapter 9 verses 22 through 25 and I'm going to read this Acts 9:22 through25 but Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. It doesn't say he made a good case it says he proved it he proved it to them. And then look what the result was. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. I mean, they just fall right in line with what they always do, right? Oh, uh, The guy's causing us issue. Let's kill him, all right? Verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also closely watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. So it came to the point where they had spies watching the gates, and as soon as they saw Uh, Paul leaving the city of Damascus, they were going to ambush him and murder him. Well, of course, God spared uh, Paul's life by allowing word to get to him, and friends of his lowered him down from the wall, uh, and he was able to escape that um, death threat, okay? Uh, And that's what we see in verse 25, but his disciples took him at night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket, so this was almost always, again, how the Jewish leaders chose to deal with issues that arose that threatened. Here's the deal. It threatened their way of life. It, it threatened the, the power hold that they had. It threatened the control that they had over the people. It threatened their prestige as being the, the, the men of God, right, that everybody looked up to. It threatened their wealth. Man, if you could disrupt what was going on in the church and, and make a case for, hey, everything's different now. The Messiah has come. Everything's changing. Then the, the wealth, uh, you know, the balance of wealth begins shifting as people begin to give to the, the church rather than these Pharisees. And so it upset the apple cart. And so all they knew to do was, let's kill them. Look at John 12.10. John 12.10. This is, this is what they always did. John 12, 10, and 11. This is right after Christ raised Lazarus, okay? So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. So the, the poor guy was just raised from the dead, and they're already plotting to kill him again, right? And it says, verse 11, because on the account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So anytime the Jews were converting, to, the, to the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and, and following Christ, that's when they got all up in arms and they decided they wanted to kill him. Get, let's get him out of the way, right? Um, it's interesting to note, though, in one particular case that Saul took part in the same kind of conspiring, maybe not in a pointed way, in, in, a, in a really, really involved way, but he was there and he was part of it, and this was the first successful execution of the very first early church martyr, Stephen. So turn to Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7. And we're going to look at verses 54 through 60. Acts 7, 54 through 60. Now when they had heard this, they were infuriated. So Stephen just just preached a killer sermon, right? He just presented the gospel in a way, that again infuriated the leaders of the Jews at that time. And they immediately wanted Him dead. So they were infuriated. They began gnashing their teeth at Him. How angry do you have to be to gnash your teeth? Like to be that angry. And then look what happens. But He, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they shouted with loud voices and covered their ears, and they rushed at him with one mind. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And then it says, The witnesses laid aside their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. So here we see Saul, a young man, the rising star of the Pharisees, holding the cloaks of those who are involved in witnessing the stoning of the first martyr of the early church. Isn't that incredible? And God says, I'm going to take that guy and I'm going to steal him from the devil and I'm going to make him be an agent of the gospel. What an incredible story of conversion. I love that. It says, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord Jesus. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. So again, from that first blood spilt, God took from that horrific act. And what we often see in Scripture, when someone means something for evil, God means it for good. That's why we have to trust Him. That's why we can't try to figure things out on our own. We just have to keep submitting to the will of God. Okay? Just incredible. So we could spend... Weeks studying the life and ministry of Paul, and most certainly um, we will get to know him more and more as we are studying verse by verse through the New Testament epistle, uh, epistles. Um, I added another syllable, <laughs> epistles. Uh, so we're going to leave it there today. Um, and again, you guys will, we're going to lay this foundational knowledge for you, um, and today you kind of have a foundational knowledge of the man who wrote the letter to the church at Corinth. And and uh, just in addition to Colton's fine message last last week as we, we learned about the city of Corinth itself and the folks Paul is writing to, and next week we will really begin to dig in. Amen? Amen? All right, let's bow. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you were encouraged by the truth of God's Word. If you're in the Tulsa area and are looking for a local church family that teaches God's Word, then join us at 10.30 every Sunday morning. Or you can join us live online on our Facebook page or YouTube channel. Until next time, brothers and sisters, as Paul instructed, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you.